Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. What's happening, guys? We are talking live now on, uh, I think it's, what is it, Monday night? Uh, it's getting close. We're a couple days away. Pretty pumped about where we're going with this draft. Pretty pumped about the content that we have given you guys leading up to this draft to talk about so many different things and different angles at which the Browns will go about these players. I have had on an innumerable number of people uh, who have given you players they like, whether early players, late players, whatever. I think that there have been some great opinions, uh, kind of guys that maybe are in the threshold, guys that aren't in the threshold. But when we talk about the threshold, that's what I really want to dig into because I think there's an understanding of what Andrew Barry wants to do with this draft. But I think people throw it around, but they don't necessarily understand the things that this front office leans toward doing on a consistent basis. And that dates back to Andrew Barry's time with Sashi Brown's front office, whether you like him or not, they're still a part of the Browns draft history and especially Barry's and then Andrew Barry's time in Philadelphia and his first draft of evidence. So what I wanted to do is bring on a guest who I think is really good at laying out the guardrails for you. Not, I'm not just talking age. I'm talking about athletic ability, production, and some of the things that these guys have done in college, because there are there are definitely some patterns here, and if the Browns don't pick the guy that you like, is there a reason that is beyond just you maybe having an untrained eye about whether a player is good or bad? They have criteria by which they follow. We are going to bring on TA here in just a second. Before we do so, a couple house guests, uh, or sorry, a couple house cleaning reminders. We are having a 2021 OBR draft show. It's at 7:30 uh, both nights, Thursday night and Friday night. We're running the whole thing for the first round. So we hope you guys will stick with us the whole night of the first round. And then we'll do a couple hours kind of at picks 55 ish, a little bit ahead of the Browns, unless they make a trade up, we'll go live early uh, all the way through their pick 91 on day two. And then maybe we'll check in on day three. We'll see, but we're officially doing Monday or sorry, Thursday, Friday. We hope you guys can join us. We think it'll be a fun time. All the OBR staff will bring in some outside guests as well. We'll talk about everything, break it, break it down from every angle and give you a different option to the normal NFL Network ESPN talk and focus on it from a Browns perspective. So we hope you join us. But back to today's topic, which is the guardrails, the data, the analytics behind the tendencies of this front office. I'm going to bring on TA. He does great work, guys. He's a contributor at Sharp Football. Which if you know anything, they're, they're on the cutting edge of giving you data analysis. He does the Sharp Angles podcast. He does betting, gambling information that is way over my head that I just try to figure out what he means by it. TA, what's happening, man? Hey, what's up, Jake? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to talk about this topic, and we'll see some user questions come in during this. So if one does come up, I'll throw it up on the screen for you. Uh, we're going to share some things you have put out on Twitter recently, and I'll do my best to jump through them and navigate them as best I can to get up the, the data clearly. I want you to talk to the listeners about, if you can, some of the history work you've done on the guardrails for athleticism, spark scores, those things that you think Andrew Barry is most interested in when they look at the prospects, they'll take it maybe 2659 and beyond. So and I think it's, um, you know, it's a complicated process. I don't think 
you know, anyone, or we're not in the draft room and we're not uh, you know, going through the valuation process. So nobody knows for sure. And it's, it's pretty, uh, you know, they've got some complex systems in place. And obviously Paul DePodesta does a great job and he's brought that in with him a handful of years ago. But, you know, I think from a fan's point of view, at least we have some evidence of some of the types of things that they look for. And so I think if you step back and, you know, people always ask, well, how do they come up with, you know, these draft lists, you know, how do they come up with a hundred, 114 draftable players? And I, try to equate it to, you know, I'm my, my full-time job, my real job, I'm in finance, I'm in investing. And, you know, anyone who, uh, you know, does any sort of investing and, um, you know, they've got, there's a universe of a couple thousand companies and stocks that are out there, right? So if you're a money manager, how do you figure out how to create a diverse por portfolio of stocks? Well, you've got to narrow down those, that universe to a workable list and you apply these filters or these guardrails and, could be anything from you know just market cap size to I want I, I don't like companies with a lot of debt so you know I'm gonna only look for companies with debt to equity ratio below a certain percentage I would I need companies that are you know have positive revenue growth for multiple years all those sorts of things to get to a working list maybe a hundred stocks whatever the number is and then you dive in deep and you you know do the fundamental research and um, you look at the management teams and all those sorts of things to come up with kind of your portfolio so I think you know, these guys take a similar approach. So they, you know, if you if you consider this kind of like a, a pyramid at the top, it's, um, you know, we really, in the first two rounds of the draft versus rounds three and seven, I think they look at different things. But, you know, first two rounds, we look for um, elite athleticism, and that's measured by, you know, spark scores or uh, relative athletic scores and whatever. You know, we only have the public information. I'm sure they have more uh, um, sophisticated systems, but those are the types of um, pieces of data that we can look at as a fan. Um, look at you know those athletic traits, but then also you know guys have to produce. You know they're not drafting guys who are athletic marvels in rounds one and two, but you know haven't produced on the field. If you look back since 2016, and we only have a couple of years of data, um, but all those guys, you know, even Corey Coleman, as bad as he was, he was a great college player and he had great athleticism. Emmanuel Agba, Miles Garrett, uh, Peppers, and Joku, um, you know, all the way down the line, you know, all these guys were, were you know, workout warriors, and they were able to produce on the field. So um, those, the combination of those two things, I think, um, are really, um, really at the, at the top, uh, you know, at the forefront when they look at rounds one and two. And I think they attack very specific positions. I mean, at, at this point, I think we've all figured out, uh, you know, the passing game is really the key here for for any sort of analytical um, uh, focused front office. It's, you know, the quarterback. It's protecting the quarterback on at the tackle point of view. It's catching the ball and, and you know, big plays in the, from the wide receivers and tight ends. You know, on defense, it's rushing the passer. So you're not looking for just run stuffers in rounds one and two. That's not the the goal here. It's It's attacking the quarterback. It's coverage in the secondary, all those sorts of things filters down uh, on top of all of these, you know, characteristics and these metrics. Um, and you, you add, you know, you essentially overlay a lack of red flags. So they haven't really drafted anybody in rounds one and two in the last handful of years that have any sort of medical issues. Um, you know, Grant Delp had a little bit last year, but, you know, they were, they were kind of nagging injuries. There weren't any major red flags. And they really haven't drafted anybody with character issues for the most part. Um, so you apply all those metrics and you get a list of 114 names, right? Um, and it's a matter of, you know, how do we go about, you know, dispersing that list? And so I think with rounds one and two, especially, it's really the elite athleticism. And by that, I mean, you know, since 2016, every first round pick that Andrew Barry 
and Paul de Batesta have made um, have at a minimum in a spark percentile of 89% or higher. So they're in the elite elite of their, um, you know, of their size um, and uh, position group. Um, and then you look at relative athletic scores, because this year, obviously, there's a lot of missing information um, sure. with, with the pro days and whatnot. So not, they don't all have spark scores, but because um, you need you essentially need full data on all these different um, uh, skill, you know, these, these different workouts to get that spark data. So the ones that don't have spark data, they do have some relative athletic scores. It kind of uses a combination of um, a handful of uh, different drills and whatnot to, to come up with a score. So all of those guys have at least, uh, we call it 8.8 or higher relative athletic score. And essentially nine is, you know, elite, elite. Eight is really good, but nine is kind of the cut, you know, the cutoff for elite. So all of their first round picks have at least at 8.8 or higher and a spark score of 89% or higher. And if you even look at, you know, Andrew Berry in his one year in Philly, they drafted Andre Dillard, a left tackle out of Washington State, who was, yeah, I mean, his athleticism was off the charts. He had a 97 percentile spark score uh, and a relative athletic score of 9.7. So, you know, he was, again, at the top of the list. So, you know, we've seen throughout the years just all of these first and second round picks um, even going back to Manuel Agba, you know, he was in the 82nd percentile, you know, really athletic, um, all produced. Agba was, you know, what Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Um, we obviously know about Corey Coleman was, was great at, at Baylor. Um, all of these guys produced at high levels uh, in college, along with the athleticism. So, you know, I think they look at kind of the first and second round picks in that manner. Um, and this year, I mean, you apply that, you might only get, you know, a handful of names that really stand out. There's only, you know, 20, 25 guys that really fit the bill because there's so much unknown and there's a lot of, you know, medical issues and off the field issues. So um, that's what makes it difficult. But I think with, with as much information as we have, um, you can apply those, you know, like I mentioned, those guardrails. And within each specific position, it, it can get very granular. Um, you know, edge rushers might have very specific measurements or, you know, arm length or 10 yard splits and whatnot to come up with, um, you know, they're the types of, of players that they're looking for. But, you know, this, this front, office, front office and all the research analysts have done, you know, years and years of, of analysis on, you know, what type of metrics um, essentially reduce um, the, you know, the risk factor when it comes to each of these groups, right? Like, uh, they might look back and say, all right, everyone, every edge rusher who produced a 10-yard split above a 1.65, you know, you essentially increase your bus factor by 50% or whatever. I'm making that up, but, you know, something like that. So they, they, they essentially, you know, apply all of these um, metrics and these, these measurements to each of the position groups and they come up with their list. So, you know, I do the best that I can just kind of back, you know, kind of back waiting and back testing, um, you know, what they've done in the past and kind of how you know, how they present themselves. And, you know, I think we come up with a workable list. And then rounds three and seven is really just a combination of, you know, elite athleticism, but maybe underperformed in college. Think, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones uh, or guys that are just really, really tested poorly, like a Rashard Higgins or a Harrison Bryant, who are kind of bottom, you know, 10 percentile in the Spark, uh, spark ratings, um, you know, when they tested. But, you know, were great, you know, producers started a bunch of games and um, put up a bunch of stats. So it's kind of a combination of those two things, I think, when you look at rounds three to seven. So, you know, I know it's long winded, but uh, that's essentially the, the the types of metrics and the way I think they look at it. And that's kind of how we came up to these lists. 
Yeah, and this is this is good stuff as you guys are seeing on the screen, and this is all available on TA's Twitter account at, at Cleve TA. Uh, he has these up his his big board, and then we're going to talk about some pro football guys, pro football focus grades. Who, um, you know, when they look at their draft guide, kind of guys who are maybe undervalued, overvalued. It's interesting to me because market share is another big part of this too. You know how how did a guy perform amongst his teammates? How much of the of the of the actual share of tackles, tackles for lost sacks? Uh, did they produce? And, and then there's a lot of things you can pull from that. A guy who only had, you know, maybe a 62% tackle percent share, something low. I don't know. I'm just throwing out a number. They don't, they don't technically hit at a pro bowl level this percentage of the time. So they, there's a whole bunch of market share stuff. And TA does a good job here putting PFF grade stuff up here too, because listen, the NFL uses it, whether you like it or not, the NFL uses it. And it's a big portion of what the NFL does is charting snaps and charting alignments, but uh, they also use, it's a quick way to cut out coaching staff evaluation of some things. And it's a quick way to pull up and give, you know, while an imperfect number at times, it does give a relative idea of how a player is playing. Because if you go back and track overall team grades, you're going to see teams that are winning football games with higher grade outs. And that's natural. So, you know, while a coach sitting in a coach's office might have a different grade for his player as he's looking at each individual play, because he knows the teaching technique, he knows the scheme to perfection. Um, there's still going to be a relative to this guy get the job done or not. I, I, you can get really fine detailed on that, but for the most part, PFF does a pretty good job. So names that stand out to me here, TA, we'll talk Jalen Phillips, man. If the concussion thing wasn't real, it's probably a top 10 pick. I mean, he's right. He's in the. He would be in the discussion. Am I right? I watched the tape. The guy can flat play. You got the numbers here to back it up. He seems like a guy who would be a top 10. If he slides to 26, he becomes interesting. If that, I mean, the medical stuff is, is dicey though. Yeah, so th th this is the problem. This is by far. I've done this since 2017. I actually helped uh, helped a buddy on a radio show for the Browns a couple of years ago when it nice. was a year two of Sashi Brown kind of helping with, with this type of stuff. So I've been doing it every year as best as I can. It's This is by far the toughest. I think it's a combination of, first of all, we've never really, I mean, the Browns have always had a high pick, right? So they've kind of had their pick of the litter. The The sure. universe is a lot a lot stronger uh, in terms of types of players. So that that's one thing, just picking later, you get you know, obviously less quality. But then, too, obviously, all the opt-outs, you know, all the missing pro day numbers, you know, who even knows if the pro day numbers are real in a lot of these cases. Um, so it makes it really hard. And there's so many, you know, especially with the edge guys, like I included Phillips and I included uh, Ajilari. I'm not even sure in a normal year I would. Um, I think yeah. because of how, how the roster stands and I think because it's kind of a, a fluky year, they may loosen up some of the guardrails a little bit to allow guys like this. I mean, Jalen Phillips had multiple concussions, was essentially told by UCLA's medical staff to retire, and he yeah. did, and then came back and had a monster year. So, I mean, if you eliminated that, you're right. But I think he would have been a top 10 pick probably if you eliminate that. So, you know, if he, if he does fall to the Browns, I think they're going to look at that and say, look, is it worth the risk at 26? And I, and that's why I included them. Like I said, normally you wouldn't because of the the concussions and, you know, this front office probably being a little bit more risk averse than, than most front offices. But I think where the roster stands and just the the lack of, you know, available players really to fit in here, um, I did add him. I mean, look, Ajilari, you know, he's got a nice 40. Um, you know, his sack numbers were, were tremendous. He's got great PFF grade, right? So on the field, he, was, he fits that bill. But his vertical leap just out of nowhere, it was like 30 inches, was was in the 14th percentile. If you look at the PFF's historical ranks, um, you know, it kind of, 
I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I don't know if he slipped or whatnot, but I mean, it, it's just so off, you know, putting compared to the rest of his numbers that really lowers some of his, you know, spark numbers and his, you know, athletic uh, metrics. And so maybe they just say, look, that was kind of a bad day. You know, uh, he's, he's a better athlete than what he showed, you know, with that, um, with that drill. So we're okay taking him there. I mean, I don't get, I don't know if he fits with, you know, kind of being a three, four uh, outside linebackers style, but um, in terms of everything else on the field and, you know, with the metrics for the most part, he fits. But, you know, I, and I just had to, I wanted to put guys in here that I think they would at least bend the guardrails a little bit. Um, yeah. And so that those are two guys at the, you know, the edge position. I actually like the edge guys. I might be with you. I like the edge guys in the second round probably more yeah. than I do in the first round, to be honest here. It's, it's, it's just so hard to find a really good, perfect prospect at 26 and that's why it's it's the the guardrail stuff or the categories they try to put these things in and what ta is trying to explain is they're looking for as many ways to mitigate the risk as possible you're going to have risk at pick 26 it's an it's an unavoidable situation but you do as best you can to to find the spots that are the least risky and and that's what they're trying to balance out another guy who listen we know you love J.C. Horn. I love J.C. Horn. It's no secret. The NFL now loves him, too, more than he was originally being talked about. He'll be a top 12 guy. Patrick Chetan will be gone. But Greg Newsom gets really interesting uh, because he's another guy who's testing his off the charts, his, his relative athletic score, his tape. I call him a mini Denzel. He's got a lot of similar features in the way he plays, the way he can flip his hips. He's twitchy. He can run. He can play the ball at the point of attack. But he's played like 16, 17 games in the past three years. He's hurt a lot. So it's another example there. I mean, do you like Greg from like – from the data perspective, do you like him? It's just the same with Jalen Phillips, where it's like, we just don't know. You don't know, man. Yeah, and and again, I don't know how they treat, you know, kind of the soft tissue nagging injuries versus, you know, concussions. Multiple concussions is a big deal. I mean, he could literally be out of oh, the yeah. league and, you know, in, with one concussion in the NFL. So I think that's a much bigger risk from medical concern. But again, I'm not examining. We don't we don't have the physicals on uh, on a guy like Newsom or the the medical. So we don't know if that's just kind of a, um, you know, hey, this is kind of a fluky thing, or if it's going to be a nagging thing for the rest of his career. You know, they've got that data, too. I haven't run that analysis ever in terms of, how, you know, do nagging injuries in uh, college, the soft tissue ones, do they translate to the pros? They, they probably do. But again, we're we're stretching as much as we can at, at 26 because there's just a lot of warts on a lot of these guys. But I think he's he's I think the good news with taking a guy like Newsom, I would probably lean that way. But the good news with taking a guy like Newsom is you don't need him to step in to be your number one. Right. Like the, yep. some of the guys I saw an article last week that pointed out, hey, maybe not, you know, maybe taking a corner in round one is a bad idea because all these guys have flopped in their year one. They don't really contribute well. But if you look to all those guys like C.J. Henderson and A.J. Terrell and even Akuda, as great as they are in terms of prospects, they're stepping in to be the number one corner, the shutdown corner on these bad secondaries it's tough proposition. I mean, Okuda had to face Dave, uh, Devontae Adams right off the bat last year, for yeah. example. You know, you bring in a guy like Newsom or another corner, you know, he's your number two, maybe your number three right off the bat. So you get kind of an easier test and you're not forced to really toss him one-on-one -on -one against, you know, these all pros. So I think that does help from a risk mitiga mitigation standpoint. You don't necessarily need a shutdown quarter. You just need a good solid corner. And if, you know, Newsom's that guy at 26, I think that may we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Makes sense. It'd be great, too, because you could match it up week to week. Say you're playing Pittsburgh and you got Troy Hill with some inside-out experience. Maybe he's a better matchup for Juju. You can play Deontay Johnson. It's a better match. That, that you're, it's a great point. I, I, it's a guy who, whether it's an edge, whether it's a wide receiver, whether it's a corner or even a safety like you, you know, we're talking about here, all these different positions, they're not coming in and expected to be the guy right away. They got some time. They're going to be expected to get on the field and produce to an extent but they're not expected to come in and be the guy you know like Corey coleman who would have to to carry the burden in certain situations so you got some round two guys up here you know i there's guys i've talked about i love on here peyton turner um among several others i got a question that came up here i'll throw up to you do you think caleb farley falls uh, is off the board if he falls I, listen i'll answer it first i'll throw it to uta like Again, it's it's what do we know? What do we not know? I mean, they, the, the the agent tries to say he's he's healthy, and I think I don't know. The agent was Drew Rosenhaus, maybe. I think it's like we don't know, man. I don't know. We don't we don't know. I, the back injury, just like Jalen Phillips, is is serious. Two surgeries is real, and it's like, in my opinion, if he falls to twenty six, there's probably a reason he's falling to twenty six. He's too talented on tape. So I don't know. Where are you at with it, man? Yeah, I, I you know I look at it the same way. It's one of those where. Let's say he is, let's say the back issues aren't really concerned and he's cleared by most everybody, like like they said he was. You know, he mentioned last week, well, he's going to go well, well before 26 because he's so talented, right? He's not even sniffed the Browns. And if he does make it to, to the Browns, that means that a bunch of teams have him off their board and probably because the Browns are more risk averse, like I mentioned, they're not going to take him anyway. So, you know, I don't know if he's officially off the board, but I just think that just, it doesn't really match up um, with where the Browns are sitting because I don't even think... I'm not even sure it's going to matter either. He's just not going to make it there because he's clear by everybody or he's going to make it there, but he's, they're just going to pass because, uh, you know, he, he's probably either off their board or just, just an extreme red flag. Like I mentioned, they have not drafted any play. If you look at all their first or second round picks since 2016, you know, eliminate the Dorsey uh, greedy Williams pick because it's, he really wasn't, uh, I wouldn't call him an analytics guy, but um they didn't. They haven't drafted anybody who has any sort of really medical concern coming out, right? Like I don't. I can't recall any of these guys that had any sort of issue that you can s- sit there and say, "All right, that that's that's an iffy one." This would be a kind of a new proposition for them to to take a swing at a guy like Farley. But um, again, you never know. This is a, this is an odd year, and these things could be uh, uh, could be loosened. And we don't have the medical reports, but uh, I, I just find it hard to believe that that he would be there at twenty six, um, and it would be a guy that they would you know think that highly of and is on the board. I'm with it. I'm with it. This day two stuff we have up here. Any guys that stand out to you? Maybe Milton Williams, for, for example, a guy who's just high across the board after last year, every grade and and uh, testing all of it. Yeah, you know it's funny. Um, I I think. Um, I don't know if it was uh, Dan, Dan Brugler. Somebody mentioned today, and I had mentioned it last week. I actually think if you give you know some truth serum to Andrew Barry, I think he would love to have multiple you know threes and and a couple twos, and having sit at twenty six. And I think the second round is loaded. I think kind of the 
you know, the, 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 the entire round, but I think you can find some really good players. I'd rather have a couple of these guys than have to you know, force myself to take somebody at 26. But, you know, I think the edge guys, I love Peyton Turner. I know you do too. I don't watch as much film as you have on him, but you know, he checks every box, you know, he only did a couple of drills this pro day, but a really good vertical, um, his re- relative athletic score from what he did do is, is pretty high, you know, high sack percentage. So he did, you know, produce on the field, good PFF grade. I mean, a 90 from a pass rush perspective, got good, you know, height, weight, like all of that kind of fits the bill. It's interesting is, you know, PFF seems to be a lot higher than kind of the consensus. And I'm not sure if, you know, why, or if that even matters, but, um, he's a guy that I would love to get. If you do take a Newsome or you do take a receiver around one, he'd be a perfect guy. I think at the end of um, round two, uh, I think Basham's kind of an underrated. I think he's more of a you know high floor guy. Probably doesn't have the upside, but you know he kind of checks. He kind of barely checks all those boxes, right? Um, in terms of uh, production and uh, athleticism, but he's a guy I would look at. And then, you know, I think Milton Williams is a good one. We, we talked about this on Twitter last week. I, when I was running these numbers, I was like, I had to double check that I was running the right <laughs> numbers because look at his explosion metrics. I mean, he's 99th percentile and. PFF's historical database among all defensive tackles in the vertical and 97th in, in the broad. Um, his relative athletic score is almost a 10. He's got a 99% spark percentile. Like he's literally Aaron Donald um, uh, from a metric standpoint, probably better if you can believe that. So I, I was curious kind of where he came from, like why this is a bad defensive tackle class. Is it because of the size that he's, you know, being pushed down or, you know, what am I missing? I guess. Uh, and you did a good job explaining it on Twitter about what, the type of player he's been. Yeah. He's, he's a guy who came on late and and there's, like you said, this kind of sums up the class where you're talking about maybe getting some more twos and threes because you just don't know with him. It's this guy was sort of a late one year flash at the end of the year. And it was like, Okay, we see some things on tape we like. He started to play with a little better pad level. These testing numbers are ridiculous, uh, but we would love to see this guy in college one more year, but you're not going to get that. You're just not going to get it, so you got to make a hunch play. And that's why with so many of these guys who are hunch plays, I think you made a great point. And a question here that somebody asked is, say the top four corners are gone by 26, which whatever, you know, the top three or however they rank them, and maybe there's not a fourth that they like. Uh, do you think it's reasonable to trade back for like a second, third, and a second next year and use extra picks to, to maybe trade for Gilmore? You know, we had we had Lane Atkins on yesterday who says the Gilmore stuff is far from dead, that there is definitely some interest in Stephon Gilmore from Cleveland's side, which is which is big news from people he trusts inside the building. And I listen, if you even take Gilmore out of that, I've been a staunch believer that they should look at trading down. If there's not someone they're absolutely in love with from meeting all of the thresholds like you've mentioned in here, and that doesn't seem very likely, then they should definitely try to double up some twos and threes and try to carry something into 2022. I know you probably align with that. Is there is there anybody, and I'll ask you this, like if you are you team trade down? And if you are team trade up, is it only one guy, JC Horn? <laughs> yeah, you follow my account, huh? Yeah, I, I love oh, Jason yeah. Warren. I think he's a perfect yeah. fit for, him for exactly what they need. And they, he, I mean, again, checks box, athleticism, and production on the field, big school. Um, yep. I mean, it's a good question. Like, I think they would love to, if they can trade back from 26, let's say gain a, you know, a late two this year and then gain a, you know, a two next year or a three next year. I think they would love to do that. Um, mm-hmm. Fans won't like it, but uh, I think the, the ones that are in attendance on Thursday, but. I think that's really what they want to do. I mean, they again, this is a front office that relies on data, available data. They don't want to guess. And I think, you know, trading out of a draft where you don't have information, there's a lack thereof, 
um, going forward is probably the move they want to make. I, I just don't know if the, the end of round one is so weak. I don't know who's going to trade up for, for that spot. Like who does somebody want? I guess maybe some of the old linemen, but you know, yeah. no one's trading up for a quarterback. Um, there's, you know, unless somebody really slides that uh, a team wants, it's not in a position that is going to fit the Browns. Yeah. I'm just not sure who's going to trade up um, a bunch of assets uh, for a late round pick or late first round pick. So, you know, you would need a trade partner there, but yeah, if, all, you know, if they could get a uh, pickup of two this year and something next year, I think they would love to do that. And I would love to do that. Um, in terms of Gilmore, I don't know. I mean, what is he's 30 years old. It's not a move, not the type of move that they would make trading multiple assets for a 30 year old corner. Who's in the last year of his deal. Like this just doesn't really fit what they want to do. Not saying that report is wrong. I don't know. I don't you know have any clue about that, but um, it doesn't really fit their DNA, but look, if they're going to go for it, you know, maybe um, they think that this is their window with the, the Baker, you know, um, fifth year option, you know, maybe you go ahead and, and make a move like that. I don't know. It would be cool to see. Um, I would love to, I mean, that'd be great uh, secondary we would have, but um, you know, it doesn't really fit their DNA, but again, I, I don't know. I mean, this is a different year and maybe this is their chance to, to go ahead and uh, make a move like that would be great. I'll ask this last question because the guy, Rashad Bateman, I like him a lot. I think I noticed yesterday um, or day before something like that had come across. I noticed that you'd said something about maybe he was a little undervalued by NFL people, a little overvalued by Twitter people, which could definitely be possible. Somebody asked if you would be comfortable with him on maybe a day two, if they traded back per se, uh, this, the scenario we just talked about, maybe they trade back a couple 10, 10 spots and pick up an extra third or an extra end of the second from somebody with a couple seconds. Is he a guy you're comfortable with round two? Is is that where you see or sort of peg him in? Yeah, and that's why I listed him as kind of a second day guy instead of first day. Just you know, when I step back, and again, this is not a I'm not a film study guy uh, per se, so I'm not going to talk about his route running and all those. But just stepping back and saying, you know, are are people are, are there teams really going to jump at a you know six feet one ninety? So it doesn't have elite size. It's kind of very mm -hmm. basic kind of uh, you know size. I know he plays some outside, but you know size wise, he's not he's not elite. Um, his athletic testing was just okay. It was like a, um, what a, a relative athletic score of, you know, eight, which is, you know, fine, but again, well below what they've normally drafted in rounds one and two. I mean, they drafted literally everyone is, is like eight and a half or higher. So you're talking about, uh, a guy whose athleticism isn't really off the charts. I mean, his vertical and broad are just kind of, eh, you know, middle of the class. So, you know, and he, he had a tough year. I know he had the COVID issues this year but he dropped a ton of balls and he had a 14% drop rate this year. Um, and so it's just like one of those things where is that really worthy of a late first round pick, especially when we've seen receivers for the last handful of years, you can find really good receivers in rounds two, three, four. Do you really need to spend a, a pick in the twenties or even the late teens um, to do something like that? And it just doesn't, it doesn't really fit with, you know, just kind of my antenna goes up and I say, you know, it seems like it's one of those, you know, uh, you know, Twitter people love them, but is do do the NFL guys really like them? I'm not sure, but yeah, if you trade it down or if you wait it, if you somehow fell to the end of round two, uh, yeah, by all means, um, I think that would make a lot more sense. I just don't see him as a as a pick at 26. But again, I could be wrong. They may go for kind of the safer uh, route at receiver because there's all there's so many slot guys, right? All these small guys that yeah. um, you know don't necessarily fit maybe what they want from the outside. Um, so it's possible. I mean, I, we didn't talk about Kadarius Tony, but that one really kind of, uh, I never really looked at him as an option originally, but if you look at his number, I mean, his height, 5'11", 193, so his decent size. He's not, he's not, a, not you know, uh, not like Rondell Moore size. He's, he's got some level yeah. of, 
You know, he's close to six feet. He's got four, he ran a four three eight forty. Uh, relative athletic score of nine. He's got a spark percentile of 90%, so really good. He's in the 90th percentile in the vertical, 99th in the broad. Um, he broke a ton of tackles last year. He's kind of a gadget guy at Florida, but, you know, big play guy, which they like. Again, they want, you know, with analytics, you want explosive plays, right? And we don't really have – well, we do have that with OBJ, but, um, you know, going forward, you don't really have that because, you know, Higgins isn't that guy necessarily. We don't know about people's Jones. So he's actually a guy that, that stood out to me is if I had a choice between him and Bateman – you know, he, he's a guy that fits, uh, checks a lot more of those guardrails in those boxes than Bateman does to me for, for what the Browns are looking for, um, if it came down to that. But, um, you know, he sounds like he might be sliding out of round one. So I'll um, be interested to see what happens there. But those are, I mean, I, like I said, once you get into late round two, I think you, you loosen those things up a little bit from, a, from an analytics perspective. Yeah, I think all those guys, like if they trade back, like you mentioned earlier, and they they gather some some twos, fours, something like that, some of those guys like Elijah Moore, Kadarius Toney, those guys become in play. Terrace Marshall could become in play, some of those types. I'll leave you with this question. We'll head out. I put your guys up here, your day three, or sorry, round three through seven types. A guy asked, your potential day three steal. Is there anybody you want to just kind of shout out as someone you've noticed? There's two guys I like. Nico Collins, I think from a receiver standpoint, if you wait till rounds three and four, Again, kind of like the people's Jones, just really good athleticism, maybe underproduced because of the quarterback there and the, the the offensive system. And then, you know, guy, I know you mentioned again. I don't, I haven't done any film study, but just purely box checking, uh, Zach McPherson out of Texas Tech, the corner, decent size. He's not, he's not a you know a big guy, but he's not small. Um, I mean, his athletic testing was excellent. He, he had a PFF cover grade of eighty five point seven. Um, he kind of fits all of that uh, to me. You know, he is 23, I believe, so he's a little bit older. But I think once you get in rounds three to seven, they, uh, I think they loosen that up. It's not, you know, the age isn't really as big of an issue as you get um, get later in the process. Um, and so I think that's a guy just from a um, high level, you know, he checks a lot of those boxes. He's at a position of need um, and could be a guy that maybe is like a round four or five guy, which I think would, would be excellent. I know Dan Brugler likes him as well. He mentioned him as yeah. a – you know, underrated guy. So again, without the, the you putting the, the film study on um, just from a metric standpoint and a need, uh, it seems like he fits the bill. Well, those are two great names. TA, listen, man, this was great guys. If you have questions for him, make sure you're following him on Twitter at cleave, uh, which is C L E V T A. He's going to give you a feedback on what he's, if he's throwing something out and you ask a question about it, he'll give you some feedback on why he thinks that way. It's, it's data back stuff. It's a, it's a balanced perspective of, of if you don't dig into the numbers, follow people who do dig into the numbers to get a perspective that is outside your own. I think that's healthy when you look at this stuff. He's one of the best guys doing numbers on, on the Browns corner of this whole Twitter street. So make sure you're following him and make sure you're checking him out on Sharp Football and uh, the Sharp Angles podcast because both are great for data metric stuff. So, T.A., thanks again, man. Can't thank you enough for coming on. Thanks, Jake. I appreciate it. Guys, that's a wrap for today. Uh, you know, like I said, huge shout out to TA for taking time for us. We have one more great guest lined up tomorrow. We'll have Doug Marie on, and uh, we will talk with him from Cleveland.com. Good friend of mine. Uh, always some great conversation. You guys have been awesome. We will do one more uh, mock. We'll do a mock Wednesday. My man, Stephen Thomas, will be joining me again, and we will do another one of these mocks. And I can't wait. It's going to be fun. The stuff is finally here. You guys have been great following along, almost 100 of us in here tonight. It's going to be more interesting as we approach Thursday. We get some clarity on some picks. Pumped about it. Pumped for you guys joining us for the live show that I have up here. Reminder, 
Thursday, Friday, 7.30. Join us. We'll have everybody on. We can have chat room conversations popping. We'll respond to questions. It'll be a hell of a lot of fun. So join it. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel so you can get pinged whenever we go live for these shows. And uh, also check out tomorrow's OBR Weekly. Barry and Fred come on and do a great job with Lane Atkins to be on that one as well with them. And then make sure you subscribe to the OBR Film Breakdown Podcast where I have all of these posted in podcast form the next day. So until tomorrow when we're back with Doug, go around. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.